the biggest challenge on a commercial is leasing. In residential, you just kind of put up a rent for rent sign and you get 20 people, you know, applying. But in, in commercial, you really have to work for the for the lease. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Excited to have Carlos Rovira today. Uh, Carlos, how are you doing today? I'm good, Todd. How are you? Man, I'm I'm doing well. I actually said, "Hey, say your last name for me." And I actually had it down, and then I messed it up. So Don't you know, lost I, it, man. It's, it's okay. It's that, all right. That's how it goes. Well, I actually wanted to say a lot. Rivera. That's actually what my brain. Like, nope. Right. That's what, is it. That's yeah. exactly it. That's what my brain was like trying to think, yeah. like Rivera. Almost Rivera. Perfect. Perfect. Love it. So, anyways, RG Capital Partners. Um, full-time real estate investor has been purchasing and managing income producing property since 2009. Um, you know, you guys have, uh, have experienced syndicating, managing both commercial and residential properties through Florida, Midwest, and the Caribbean. I want to dive into the Caribbean a little bit. That's kind of cool. And, uh, you came from the tech industry. So we'll dive into a little bit of, uh, you know, what you apply to your business today. So, uh, with that said, Carlos, why don't you give our listeners a bit more about your background and kind of what you guys are uh, doing today? Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, well, just traditional. I'm, you know, traditional uh, uh, college grad. Uh, I'm from Miami, Florida. Grew up in a in an immigrant family. We're we're Cuban, so the the right thing to do is the conservative thing, which is to go to school, get a degree, and get a job. So I did just that. I graduated from the University of Miami with a degree in software engineering. And uh, the Monday after graduation, already had a job lined up at a tech company and um, quickly realized that, you know, a secure job really is not as secure as you would think. It was 2009, uh, which is when the world started to come to an end uh, from, a, from an economic perspective. And the layoffs started to, uh, to become a very common thing in the corporate world. So I started seeing all these people in my office get laid off. And thankfully, I, I actually was not one of the ones. But uh, it really kind of opened my eyes in terms of what it means to have financial stability, financial freedom. Uh, and that's when my journey in, in the real estate world began. I started reading all sorts of books and educating myself, ultimately ended up uh, buying a duplex uh, that we, we house hacked it. We lived in, in one side, my wife and I, and we rented out uh, the other side. And that was kind of my first taste of passive income. Uh, we, we saw that we could basically live for free uh, in this in this duplex just by by renting out the other side, and that sort of kicked off the uh, you know our 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 desire to continue acquiring property. So little by little, we grew the portfolio. We bought a couple more duplexes. This is all in, in Miami, Florida. Um, we got to a point where you know, the the incomes from these uh, properties exceeded the incomes we were uh, we were generating from from our jobs. So quickly, kind of the the priorities shift, and decided to just go full time in in real estate investing. Left the job in 2016. Thankfully, never got laid off. Even though I I dodged probably 17 layoff rounds in the, in the <laughs> nine years that I was working there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been good, been good so far. After after a while, I think it was like around 2014, 15 ish, the market in Miami kind of turned, and it became very, very, very expensive to to purchase properties, especially if you have a cash flow angle 
uh, to your to your strategy. So basically was forced to go into another market, uh, discovered Kansas City, Missouri, started buying up little single family homes in that market for 80 grand, 100 grand, 120 grand. It was still still very, very cheap market uh, around that time. Very good cash flow. And as the portfolio grew, so did my management company. You realize after a while that this passive income you've been trying to acquire becomes less and less passive uh, the more your portfolio grows if you're if you're self-managing. Yeah. So that kind of kicked off my my property management company, uh, which we have, I think, about 230 units under management today. And uh, about two years ago, I was introduced to my partner, Alfredo, who's a, he's a Miami guy who moved to Kansas City because his wife was doing her PhD over there. Just kind of coincidentally, we, we were introduced. He wanted to get into real estate. I was already in real estate in that market. He was in a, in a fundraising role over at the university over there. So um, we put our heads together. We decided we were going to start a little syndication business. He would raise the money. I would find the deals and manage the deals. And five buildings, five commercial buildings later, we're still we're still in business. So we're hoping to do a couple more deal, deals this year. Hopefully, there'll be some deals. And uh, it's all very, very heavy value add stuff um commercial in the kansas city market and yeah we like it we're uh we're in a good place and hopefully we can continue so that's kind of the 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 gist of my story i don't know if you want to dive into no any perfect of the details yeah so we'll dive in so kansas city versus miami i want to talk about that first because miami obviously uh high growth market uh but like you said, it's uh, the properties become really expensive really quick and and more difficult to to cash flow. So, is that was that the, just the the main thing? Hey, like we can't cash flow here. We're just going to go and pick another city. Is that was that the reasoning? Yeah, uh, well, Miami's a very it's a very unique market because it's very international. You have a lot of foreign investment coming in from Latin America, different yep. countries, and that. That wealth that comes in from other countries has different goals. Um, if you know the country of Venezuela goes down and all the wealth leaves that country, they're they're trying to preserve wealth or defend their wealth. They're not necessarily trying to cash flow. So they'll buy up, you know, Venezuelans will come here and they'll buy up condo buildings and, and they don't really care about cash flow. So that kind of drives up prices a lot. And if you're a guy like me looking for value add with with cash flow component to it. It's really hard to compete in this market. So yeah, I mean, we 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 made the decision after I, know, I think it was like two or three years where we just didn't do a deal and we were just saving up all this money and we had cash that we needed to invest and you know we decided to just kind of move on from there and and find the new market and diversify a little bit. So ended up in yeah, Kansas City. That that's interesting to understand that and that and that's a dynamic I think a lot of people don't understand is that like the, from a, depending on what country. Uh, people are from if they're investing in U.S. real estate, they've got different goals. They don't have goals necessarily for cash flow, like you said. It's just they just need a place to put their money, and it's it's going to be way more safe in U.S. real estate than it is if they're investing in their own country. It's going to get better returns, even though it might be very very small returns. It might be a lot better returns. Um, I've got some Chinese investors, the same thing. Like they don't they their returns in China are negative and so if they can get any kind of positive they're excited uh here so they're looking right. at different things and it doesn't 
mean it's a bad deal for them. It's a bad deal for you, <laughs> uh, which makes it very hard. So let's talk. Like, why did you pick Kansas City? What made Kansas City an attractive um, market? People ask me that all the time, and I don't really remember the origin. I I, I knew that I was looking for. I, I don't know that I really thought it through very well, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um, I was. Like, hey, I had a mortgage properties. broker. Yeah, I had a mortgage broker, and he uh, and I was telling him, "Look, I can't find anything." And he goes, okay, well, I have this guy in Kansas City who sells turnkey properties. Why don't you talk to him? And I was like, all right, fine. So I talked to the the turnkey guy. And before I knew it, I was buying a house from the guy. Um, You know, for me, I saw it as a relatively small bet. I mean, I was putting 25K down uh, for a $100,000 house. So I figured I'll buy one, see what happens. Worst case scenario, doesn't really cash flow. And I just sell it and move on. So to say that I really analyzed the market and came to the conclusion that I needed to invest in Kansas City would not be true. <laughs> Honestly, I just had a phone call with a guy. I was kind of desperate to place money. And I decided, hey, I'll just take a flyer and see, see where it goes. And it worked out. So I ended up buying a couple more houses from the guy until I kind of outgrew the whole turnkey thing. And then I started finding my own deals. And you know, I met a realtor and she started sending me deals and stuff like that. So, But yeah, it was kind of a crapshoot, to be honest with you. Would you recommend that the turnkey, um, you know, now that you've done it and you've moved beyond it, so you grew out of it, um, would you recommend that to to people? There's, there's a lot of mixed feelings about the turnkey thing. I think it depends on the market and I think it depends on the operator. It depends on a lot of things, which all of which, none of which I analyzed when I made the decision to 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 move forward with the, the same guy. What happened was, or what happens typically with turnkey people is that they are also managing the property for you. But the management is a little bit of a loss leader. So as long as they continue to sell you deals, they can continue managing for you. But if you stop buying deals or if the deals dry up, then they have no revenue and their quality of management really goes down because they aren't really making any money off of the management. So what happened, at least with my turnkey guy, is it was 2020, which is when COVID hit. And there were no deals. I mean, like nobody was doing any deals during that initial lockdown period. So his deal flow dried up and he wasn't able to sell anything new. And then the management kind of went down and then that was kind of the end of him. Um, When the market rallied after that, I'm sure it made it even worse because these turnkey guys are, they they basically depend on, uh, on like buying distressed, like super distressed properties at real cheap, and flipping them to you. So if the values of properties go up and they're not able to even purchase properties, that also kills their their model as well. So you've got to kind of be very careful with like when in the market cycle you're you're investing because depending on that, that's when the turnkey is a make or break or won't will or won't work. So uh, I recommend it if you're starting out and you don't really have the resources to like do your own deal analysis and have your own deal flow. But start small and really kind of test the waters is what I would do. I wouldn't go all in and buy like 10 houses all at once. Because a lot of the turnkey guys are really bad quality. Yeah. yeah. Good, I don't even know if they still exist advice. nowadays, honestly. Uh, honestly, yeah, that's a model that you're probably right. It's gone. Um, I'm not probably not completely gone away, but uh, very difficult because, quite frankly, finding a single family house to flip to somebody, have enough margin there for the profit and still uh, have enough margin to um have a solid rental cash flow that's difficult that's difficult yeah. to do so um 
and now what you said you said you're buying commercial properties what kind of commercial properties are you buying in kansas city yeah so okay alfredo and i got hooked up in 2021 early 21 and um our intention was to buy multifamily. we wanted to buy I was a residential investor, so our, our intention yep. was to buy multifamily, but the market was already crazy. So as we started to analyze deals, you know, this is the middle of the pandemic. People are still working from home. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, but for some reason, multifamily was like rallying. We couldn't find deals. So we ended up pivoting and we decided to go into commercial and we bought a couple of office buildings, which, you know, in the middle of a pandemic when everybody's working from home, uh, to start buying office buildings was a little bit of a risk uh, to take. And office real estate was like very distressed because these landlords had had you know gotten their ass kicked during the pandemic. So there were some deals to be had. Uh, we took a flyer and we purchased two buildings in the first year. It was in 2021. We were both office buildings, super distressed. One of them was 100% vacant and had been overrun by like crackheads and homeless people. <laughs> Uh, we got them for real cheap and uh, fixed them up and rented them, man. I mean, it's been it's been really good. The you know people are back to work in most places, so we we sort of rode that that wave back up. And office still being a very boring, very black and white, and not very exciting asset class, to be honest with you. You know, you're renting out a square with carpet and white paint. Yep, uh, has been very steady for us and has been relatively lucrative. Uh, so we've done two of those. And then we did a couple of uh, retail uh, strip centers uh, in, in Kansas City, two of which, one of which is, was super distressed, 100% vacant, the same kind of deal. Mm. So we're fixing that one up. We're in the middle of, of renovating it. And uh, we've got, you know, we've got a good process. We've got a good leasing process. Uh, Alfredo is, uh, he's he's the boots on the ground. He he leases all of our, our properties. And then we have another partner we brought on later his name is jake who's a commercial broker here in miami and they kind of tag team on the on the leasing side that's kind of the biggest challenge on a commercial is leasing in residential you just kind of put up a for rent sign and you get 20 people you know applying but in, in commercial you really have to work for the for the lease but once you get somebody in there you basically have them for the long term provided that they you know don't go out of business so yeah we got a bunch of buildings and we just kind of had to pivot we had to pivot out of multifamily because it was expensive and the deals were in office at the time and everybody was running away from that asset class. So we decided to just kind of take a risk on it and, and we went for it. What's uh, anything in particular you guys look for when you're looking for office, you know, it's location, style, what age, anything you guys look for? High vacancy because we know we can lease them. We like small units. So we're, we're finding that it's easier to rent a 500 square foot office than like a 2000 square foot mm -hmm. office. So if we can find something that has, that's already been cut up or that has the ability to be cut up by just putting up a bunch of walls, uh, that's, that's what's been sort of good for us from a leasing perspective. Um, distress, you know, super distress from like a CapEx perspective, meaning it needs renovations and uh, bad, bad management. There's just a lot of bad operators, a lot of bad managers out there that just don't don't make an effort. So you'd be surprised just putting you know a little bit of effort into management, how how much you could accomplish. But yeah, it's just value add, just your typical, just badly managed property. You know, gotcha, love it. it. One of the things I like like the most about commercial real estate is that you're dealing with 
professionals, business professionals. And so when you're dealing with the company that's leasing, it's, an, it's another entrepreneur that you're dealing with. And typically those other entrepreneurs, they just, they have a different mindset, I guess, uh, than especially if you're looking at your uh, kind of average C-class resident that's going to be renting in your multifamily building, that uh, that tenant versus the tenant that is leasing your retail or office space is typically has a little bit different of a mindset. And so it's enjoyable also to deal with those people. They take they take their lease very seriously. Uh, once they get it, like you said, they stay for long-term. Yeah. And it's night and day, man. The The management of, of commercial versus residential is it's so much easier. I mean, there's more administrative work when yes. it comes to commercial because you've got more bills to pay and more you know insurances and things to keep up with. Whereas residential, you just kind of hand somebody the keys and say, "Hey, you know, take care of the property." But the 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 quality of individual you're dealing with is far superior than than the residential world, and it's cool because you get to one, you get to help a business grow, right? You're offering them a lot of these 500 square foot suites. It's their first office, right? So this is the first time they're getting into an office space. They're growing their business. Uh, they're they're excited. They're grateful. They're happy. You know, they're not entitled. And uh, you get to really play with like the synergies of the tenants, right? Because you have a retail strip mall, you know, you can have a, a nail salon next to a coffee shop and those two businesses kind of complement each other because the people, the foot traffic from the nail salon, you know, will go into the coffee shop and help that business. So you get to kind of like create this little ecosystem that sort of like sustains itself and like allows the businesses within it to actually thrive better if you're more intentional about who you put into the into the different units. So it's it's a total different game, totally different game and a lot more exciting and more fulfilling. So yeah, that's a great point though on the especially on the retail uh side. But you know, you you want to make sure you're paying attention to who you put into the deals, right? I didn't think about that when I first bought, you know, some commercial real estate, but it plays a big role in it. Like you said, they, the traffic that goes into one shop is going to feed into the next shop as long as they're complementary businesses. If you have two things that aren't even complementary, that, that they're probably not going to feed each other. But if you've got complementary businesses in this strip center, it's going to call, all kind of be good for everybody. So definitely right. something to be aware of. Let's talk about um, you know tech you you were in the tech industry. Now you're in real estate. I I talked to some people that are in tech and and go to real estate. I want to I want to talk to you about you know just kind of what you've learned, um, and what maybe what you brought into real estate that was a big benefit from being in the industry. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm very analytical. I, I come from an engineering background. I'm a numbers guy. I have all sorts of spreadsheets, and you know I'm very very religious about. Uh, our finances, making sure we don't overspend, making sure we're conservative. I'm extremely conservative from a financial perspective, just that comes comes from my engineering background. We um, probably haven't grown as quickly as we would have because of my conservatism, but I feel like going into like a bad economic time, we'll, we're well positioned because uh, we haven't been making any crazy bets or done doing anything crazy. So that's that's kind of what I've brought over from the 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 tech world. Uh, my partner's a lot more visionary, a lot more like, let's do this, let's do that. He brings me a lot of shiny objects. And a lot of times I'm like, nope, 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 no. Nope. And he gets, he gets mad at me, but it's like, you know, we got to find a balance between, you know, 
going all in and making sure we're we're in a healthy healthy place so yeah i mean i think that's that's also uh helping me in the property management world because property management is all about systems and creating you know as efficient of system or process as possible to kind of keep keep costs low and you know as an engineer that's that's all i did was create systems and and make things run more efficiently uh, so yeah, I mean, it's been a good benefit. There's a lot of people that worked in, in tech and worked in engineering backgrounds that ended up in real estate for the same reason. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what do you, what kind of systems do you have in place for your property management that help? And do you have anything like unique and different or what, what do you have? Uh, well, you're just your standard property management, uh, system. The, we use Buildium. So we try to do everything as much as possible in there. And then from like a task management, an internal task management perspective, we use monday.com because we were finding that so many tasks would sort of like pop up and we were relying on email like, hey, you do this and you do that and you do this. And then things would kind of get lost in email and they would never get done. So we implemented monday.com where every task is in one place. And if you create it and you don't close it out, it sits there forever until somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. handles it. So that's been very good from an accountability perspective internally to keep kind of our staff and, and everybody involved um, from making sure everything gets done. Uh, those are kind of the two main systems and the property management allows for like the automation of payments and and the accounting and all that stuff gets done out of that. So you're not doing any manual spreadsheets from for, for the finances. And that's pretty much it. We have a phone that rings on our cell phones. You can silence it at certain times uh voicemails go into our email so think things are very kind of tech focused and and very streamlined love it love it what's a mistake uh that you've made in you know whatever pick pick a time it doesn't matter but what's a mistake you've made and how have you learned from it how can you teach our listeners a little bit yeah screening tenants screen your tenants really well um uh, don't get desperate and just put in like the first person that that applies cuz it could cost you money later if the person ends up not paying or I want to hear the story. A low quality. Well, I mean, I have I have a lot of t- <laughs> a lot of bad tenants. I mean, I feel like my tenants have gotten progressively better. Like the first tenant I ever had in the duplex that I was ha- house hacking, I'll never forget her name. I'm not going to mention it, but that her name is etched in my brain because that woman was horrible. Um, I was a young 23 year old guy, and she took advantage of me and didn't respect me. And did um, you do a background check on her, or was it just that you didn't? Do a thorough background. What was it? Well, the background check only gets you so much. It's because the person's not a criminal. It doesn't mean they're not going to be an asshole, right? Yeah. So um, now what I do is I talk to them. Uh, I call, you know, call them on the phone. I can, you kind of get a feel. I've gotten better at it over the years of kind of getting, you know, vibes and and you know, understanding if the person's going to be a, a you know a problem or not. But yeah, you do your standard background. You do your credit check. Uh, I don't want to see any eviction history. You got to make sure you make enough money. Uh, show me pay stubs and I need to talk to the employer. I call the employer too, to get a review, like a Mm -hmm. a reference from them. And typically you can sort of read between the lines on what they say to understand what type of person they are. Um, I speak to that, to the tenant themselves. And I have kind of an interview type conversation with them. I ask them just a bunch of simple questions, just very laid back sort of conversational questions, just to kind of get a feel for their personality um and the credit report you learn to read it really well because sometimes people have bad credit but once you start looking at like why they have bad credit it's not anything that really is a cause for concern like there's a lot of medic people with medical yeah. issues and didn't yeah. pay their bills and 
you know, student loans always bring down your, your, your credit score. But if I see, you know, unpaid child support, if I see that you had a repoed car, if I see that you had a electric bill that hasn't been paid or a T-Mobile bill that hasn't been paid, then you're the type of person who doesn't pay your regular utility bills and you're not going to pay your rent. So you kind of learn to, yeah. to read the credit report in a way that sort of tells you the type of person somebody is. And sometimes even if they have a repoed car or something, if you call them and ask them, hey, look, I see this on this day. And depending on how they tell the story of what happened, you can get a feel for if they're a good person or not. Like if they kind of brush it off or they deny it. I have people who are like, oh, I don't even know what that is. Or if, if the person owns the situation and tells me, hey, look, I had my car repossessed. I was in a bad situation. I got divorced. This happened. Like depending on the story and the way they tell the story, you can kind of get a feel for the the type of person that they're going to be. So you, you, get, you just get better and better at it over the years, the more you get burned. Uh, but yeah, that's the biggest mistakes I've made in the past have been just putting in bad tenants that end up, I end up having to evict or they end up leaving and trashing the place or they end up just making my life a living hell throughout the duration of the, of the lease. So. Yeah. Easy to do. Um, and you know, what, what a bad tenant will lie. I'm surprised. I know, but a bad tenant will lie and will, uh, fraudulate their, um, you know, make things up, I guess, uh, along the way. So you might not be calling the landlord. You might be calling their best friend, uh, and thinking it's the landlord. <laughs> I've had that before where, uh, man, it's just the stories. So, um, <clears throat> what's a, what's a daily, uh, what's a habit, you know, so something that gets you going and gets you rocking every single day, whether it's morning, evening, uh, midday, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I struggle with daily habits. I, I try to do the, the the miracle morning, can't do it. And the minute I get up, my kids are, you know, awake and in my yeah. way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I try to exercise in the morning. If I can get a workout in early morning, then my day is set. Um, so if I can get up early enough to, to, you know, get on the Peloton bike or do some weights in the morning, then it really kind of gets my, my blood flowing. Uh, early because I, I do always wake up with like you know my head is spinning and millions of thoughts so if you can get you know your 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 blood flowing via exercise it kind of helps with that so I've been trying I've been trying to be real intentional about exercising every day even if it's not in the morning that was one of my goals for this year is to exercise every single day even if it's just a light walk through the neighborhood or like heavy you know heavy weights at least some sort of movement uh, throughout the day, because I spend most of my day sitting, you know, sitting at a desk, responding to emails and looking at spreadsheets. So getting, getting out there and moving is, is really helpful. Accountability time now. Have you, have you accomplished that so far? How are you doing there? I've been, man, I've been pretty good. I mean, I, I, I was looking at the, cause the, the Apple watch gives you like a, a chart that's has like every day that you've worked out. I think I've missed like one day, uh, in the past, like two months, and I think that was like a travel day where I just didn't have time and I was walking around anyway. So, um, and then I think I was sick. I was sick one day. I had like a weird like stomach thing and I didn't exercise. But then what I did was the next day I felt good and I, I did like two workouts. I worked out in the morning and then I went for a walk in the afternoon. So I kind of psychologically, my OCD was driving me crazy. So, so I got like two I workouts in the next day to make up for, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Love it. But I've been Love good, it. and I'm historically a guy that like hate doesn't exercise and always blows it off. So it's been it's been good. 
Yeah, I think it's so important. And, and even like you said, just that intentionality to get out there and do a walk. It doesn't have to be. So, so a lot of people, and myself included, think it has to be like this super high intensive workout where you're getting this major sweat on. Um, but man, I'm trying to change my mindset to say, well, look, sometimes you just don't have time or energy for that type of workout. So just get something going. You know, like you said, you sit most of the day, get moving, get your body moving. Yeah. So yeah, and if you can walk for an hour, you know, listen to a podcast or listen to an audio book or make a couple phone calls, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you're doing something at least. So, yeah, love it. Um, Carlos, a couple last questions before we wrap here. Um, what's a favorite book? That's a tough question, man, because my books, I read so much and I feel like my favorite book kind of changes depending on what state of life I'm in. Yeah, um, for sure. So I, I can't really answer with a favorite book. Right now I'm reading Atlas Shrugged, which is mm -hmm. like a 1200 page fiction novel that I've, I typically don't read fiction, but like I've gotten kind of really into it. Um, so I'm reading that one now. I just read one called uh, Breath. It was all about breathing. I never knew, I, I never expected to read an entire book about breathing. It was fascinating. Uh, so that was a good one. You know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is the one that got me into real estate, but I, you know, I haven't read that book in 15 years. Uh, there's, there's just so many books, man. I'm going to have yeah. like my bookshelf. You can't really see it, but it's full of, full of stuff. I read too much. My, my wife says I need a book budget because uh, every, every day there's a new book outside from Amazon. Yeah. I ordered piling gotta, up. It's taking up too much room in here. You're going to have to get a, like a, a shed for your books, a new addition to your house or something like that. So yeah, no, I, and I agree with you. You're kind of in different aspects of where you're at. So sometimes, Hey, especially early on when you're just learning about the business, that's, that's all you would probably read a lot of real estate books, a lot of different books on business. And, and then it turns to maybe mindset. And then, you know, now you got Atlas Shrug, which is a, a very interesting, intriguing uh, fiction book. Um, so yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm always just doing the same thing into different kind of things at different times. So saying, Hey, what's my favorite book can be challenging for sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, all right. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. Okay. So the first one would be the material side, which would be accumulating cash flowing assets as many as possible to maximize the amount of income uh, you can make from, from your existing wealth. And I use real estate as that, uh, as that vehicle or that as the vehicle for that pillar. Uh, then at the rest, I see, let's see two more. Uh, let's go with some immaterial stuff. The first, the second one I would say is probably, how you manage that wealth. So uh, frugality and conservatism when it comes to spending, uh, making sure you're not, uh, you know, allowing your lifestyle to overtake your, your, you know, the first pillar, which is the income you make. Uh, so you, you have to keep that balance. And it's very tempting once you start making money to start spending the money on material things. So if you can keep, keep your frugality and stay humble and stay, stay smart about the way you spend, that's how you maintain the wealth. So on the first side, you're building the wealth and you got to maintain the wealth. And then the third is enjoy the wealth, man. It's, it's hard to be present. Um, I, I'm so used to go, 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 right? The next deal, the next problem, the next thing that when the weekend comes or the vacation comes, you need to be able to disconnect, right? So it's more of a mindset 
that third pillar is more of a mindset because you spend all this time building the wealth and then you spend all this time preserving the wealth, but then you don't spend any time actually enjoying the freedom that that wealth gives you. I mean, it's, again, it's very tempting as a businessman to just be thinking about business and thinking about the next deal and not stopping and being present. And that's the most difficult pillar, at least for me right now, is making sure that when I'm home with the kids, I'm not looking at my phone, checking my email, or I'm not thinking about something else that I'm actually present. And when I go on vacation, that I don't feel guilty that I'm on vacation, that I actually enjoy the vacation, not thinking that I need to be back at the office producing. That's That's been the most difficult, at least in this stage of life for me. But I guess I'll go with that. So you got wealth building, wealth preservation, and wealth enjoyment, I guess, or wealth. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome pillars. Well, Carlos, look, this has been uh, awesome. Anything else you want to add? Uh, anything that's you've been like, hey, I just I got to say this on the podcast. No, man, I think we covered everything. Okay. Um, you know, if you're thinking of getting started in real estate, just just do it. There's probably some deals to be had now since it seems like we're going into a little bit of a, of a slowdown. So just, you know, stay vigilant and and don't be scared to pull the trigger if something comes up. Yeah. Be, be patient out there. There's deals that there's deals that are around. There's deals that are probably go, going to be coming, but like you said, stay vigilant, stay, stay active, continue to look and uh, you'll end up digging up some, some good deals. So yeah, Carlos, sure. how can our listeners reach you? How can they get in touch? Learn more about what um, I, you can uh, have Instagram. You can DM me there. The The handle is the Carlos Rovira. I had to put the word the, before my name, because somebody else took took Carlos oh, Rivera, so it's the the Carlos Rivera. Um, just you know, hit me up there. I'll I'll respond. Uh, so yeah, awesome, Carlos. Again, really appreciate it. You have a fantastic rest of the day. You too. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. The rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.